Aloha, and welcome to Figments, the Power of Imagination on Think Tech Hawaii. This is my umpty-umpth episode in the whatever season. A lot, more than 50 overall. And today I'm going to talk about getting my act together. No, getting our act together on peace on the North on the Korean Peninsula. So I didn't bury the lead. Um, that's what we're going to talk about. First, I have to mention a hot topic, chat GPT. Everybody's chatting about chat GPT. I tried it. I couldn't resist. I wasn't impressed. Um, I'm sure that gives the originators pause. But here's what I did. I wrote, asked it to write a story about me because I'm me, right? It was less than 60% accurate. Now, the name Leaf, when you're writing about a military person, because awards have oak leaves and other things, and you got majors leaves and whatever. But regardless of how I set up the story, set up the request, 60% accurate. So you might try that for yourself, or you could use my name, but I know how inaccurate it is. Uh, that tells me that it's an answer, a partial solution, not the answer. All right. So I'm going to talk about Korea again. Why, 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 you say? Well, it's important to me. But let me expand on that because I think the why uh, will provide the rationale for what I suggest, and it will help answer the yeah buts. The yeah, but the when when I propose a solution to the Korean problem, as I have for many years, including in my Peace Writer Prize winning paper, the urgently an urgently practical approach to the Korean Peninsula. Always the naysayers, those uh, wedded to conventional wisdom, will say, "Yeah, but well, yeah, but this and yeah, but that and yeah, but denuclearization, yeah, but North Korea can't be trusted and yeah, but." Whatever, whatever. So let me give you why, the why of my interest in both nuclear war and Korea, starting with Korea. Uh, my history with the Korean Peninsula started on uh, August 25th, 1978. Yeah, that's a long time ago. As a young Air Force pilot, I landed at Osan Air Base and began a 19-month journey into understanding or at least appreciating Korea in a very different time, dirt roads time, um, hard scrabble, poor dictatorship time, and a time filled with crises. I was in uh, the ROK when President Park Chung-hee was murdered. Uh, we had several other incidents and provocations throughout the time, and it was... It was still under martial law, as I recall. And I did that for 19 months. And then, after that experience, I stayed connected to Korea through my military life. I next went to Okinawa, Japan. We went to fly exercises over Korea. And I was even in South Korea in um, 1983, August 31st, September 1st, when the Korean airliner was shot down by the Soviet Union. 
and then went to Misawa and provided air defense alert to protect the search effort. So it's it's kind of in my soul. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. And um, that has given me a pre an appreciation of the precarious situation on the peninsula that has existed for what, 70 years more uh, and in fact the war ended it didn't end the armistice that was signed that paused armed conflict 70 years ago this coming july july 27 1953 i was about 11 months old i said that before but this is personal to me and if you um if you look at the picture of the armistice being signed there it is black and white in a black and white day and then fast forward to the singapore summit between uh, president trump and kim jong-un you have to realize that this country has been at war both sides of the dmc for that entire time that spanned the stark black and white image to the colorful pageantry that we saw in singapore how can that be now the rest of my military life and my civilian life working as a senior civilian in the defense department at the asia pacific center for security studies were still intertwined with grit throughout that time they're still at war the armistice wasn't a peace agreement it was a cessation of hostilities with a peace agreement promised to follow how can that be <laughs> how can that be just let's just say let's just say we halted the fighting 70 years ago this coming july and we haven't finished the deal yet i'm incredulous appalled agog agape aghast all of those things how can that be and and just from a philosophical basis the failure to end a conflict is troubling but it's even more troubling in the nuclear context and i gotta tell you this pisses me off I, there's no other way to say it folks i'm sorry if you're no i'm not sorry because it does we haven't ended the conflict and it has brought us to a nuclear precipice why do i care about nuclear war it's unthinkable yeah but they might say nuclear war is unthinkable not to me i've been thinking about nuclear war for a long time as a young 24 year old second lieutenant f4 pilot at holloman air force base new mexico new to newly minted one of the very first things i did was certify a nuke strike line what does that mean i spent two weeks of intensive preparation to explain with my backseater in the f4 and uh, exactly how i would take a single v61 nuclear weapon into warsaw pact and attack a target as part of a broader strike plan now think about that 24 years old nuclear holocaust and i'm part of it by the way 
it was almost certainly a suicide mission. So there's that little bit of psychology to get past. That was unthinkable, but I had to think about it. I had to think about it practically, and I had to make a credible case to my wing commander that I could do it. And I did. Years later, as a wing commander, I had a, a mission at eight, one of the bases where I was wing commander of storing and protecting nuclear weapons. I can't go into any detail, but that reconnected me with the nuclear enterprise in our national security construct. And it, it, it's sort of like combat experience. If you haven't done it, you don't know. So all you yeah, but folks, if you haven't done it, here's an idea, shut up and listen. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm pretty aggressive about this, but you gotta be aggressive to solve problems. You don't know how exacting the requirements are and if you haven't thought about you personally delivering a nuclear weapon, you have no idea of the gravity of every element of that whole matrix. So I did that. Frankly, of all the things I did, including combat operations as a wing commander, the most demanding, the most difficult to get right was nuclear surety the assurance that we would protect and store safely our nuclear weapons, and rightly so. Several years after that, I became the vice commander of Air Force Space Command, which at that time had oversight of the nation's uh, land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles with, what, nuclear weapons. So, um, once again, I'm not... I, I'm not thinking about nuclear weapons in the abstract. I've got to think about them in the practical. How do we protect them? What do we do if the time comes? If the unthinkable becomes reality, what do we do? And by the way, I've got to do it. I went from that job to the deputy commander and for two glorious weeks, the acting commander of U.S. Pacific Command. And again, can't go into detail, but there are unique responsibilities for national decision-making at the strategic level that reinforce how serious this is. So to me, the unthinkable is very thinkable. This shit is real. The threat is real. Nuclear war and the concept is real to me. If that troubles you, well, find an alternate universe and live in that because the threat is here now. The way people look at the threat currently, they think about uh, Russia, Ukraine, it could escalate. Yeah, in theory, it could. China, Taiwan, US, that could turn into a nuclear scenario. I agree. I certainly hope not. I'd do anything I could to prevent that from happening. But what about North Korea? Back to my connection with the Korean Peninsula and, and with nuclear warfare. Um, what about Korea? Is that, that threat real? We tend to look at Kim Jong-un and his predecessors and the whole, the entire population of North Korea, frankly, we look at as cartoon characters with their parades and cartoons and propaganda and ridiculous myths about their rulers, um, you know, so many holes in one or whatever it is. 
we make them unreal, but that's a real threat. They have the capabilities to strike much of the U.S. and many other places. They do. They have the missiles, and they've shown it. They have the inventory of missiles, shown at a recent parade. And they have the weapons demonstrated in, I think, seven nuclear tests. I was the deputy commander at PACOM when the first test occurred. That was an eye-opening moment. So, um, but they wouldn't use them, would they? Nothing's impossible. Russia, Ukraine could devolve to that circumstance, that nuclear tragedy. So could China, Taiwan, U.S., and other cases, Iran. Theoretically possible. But in the case of North Korea, they have the missiles, they have the warheads. In fact, their warheads are expected to, their warhead inventory is expected to expand to from tens to hundreds in coming years, putting them on par with India, Pakistan, France, United Kingdom, a major nuclear power. Could that happen? Yeah, but he'd never do that. Well, how, how do you know? Well, this could be an absolutely profanity-laced episode because the yeah, but how can you assume away a threat this big? North Korea recently changed its national security laws to permit the first use of nuclear weapons. Yeah, but yeah, but you know what that means? That means unlike China, Taiwan, U.S., or Russia, Ukraine, which could over time, maybe days, months, weeks, weeks, months, devolve to the worst of all cases, one bad decision in Pyongyang, today, tomorrow, next month, whenever, could change the global landscape in ways we don't even want to imagine. I don't want to imagine, but we have to think about the unthinkable. And there have been strategies, so I assail this circumstance for, that we're in where we are on a precipice, maybe not right at the edge, but close enough that we could trip and fall. Uh, it's not like we haven't tried to address the problem. We've had different strategies for dealing with North Korea. During the Cold War, frankly, it was containment. It was one of a multitude of Cold War problems, and we tried to avoid the war starting again. I was part of that as a young pilot at Osan Air Base, um, and we tried to just hem them in. Succeeded. But when the Soviet Union uh, dissolved, we went to a strategy of denuclearization, a strategy with many facets, by the way. And the facets included, under the Clinton administration, rapprochement and negotiation with the norm. Under George W. Bush, we did confrontation and negotiation. Under President Obama, we did um, strategic patience. Trump did symmetry or symmetry preceded by direct confrontation. And now it seems we've returned to strategic patience, almost neglect by the Biden administration. And I don't say that in a pejorative because 
that he's got a lot on his plate, but we're not paying much attention to North Korea. And yet they are a clear and present and immediate nuclear threat. Dude, we got to fix that. And there's a way. Before we get to that way, let's talk about the next episode on you know, Figments, the Power of Imagination, which will come up on March 29th. And the episode will be about, well, I don't know yet, because I kind of wing it, because I got a lot going on. I'm writing an op-ed for a major me uh, media outlet, and I'm doing this and doing that. So who knows? It'll be good, I promise. Maybe I'll get lucky and I'll have a lady named Christine Ahn, the executive director of Women Cross DMZ, a peace group about Korea. Um, I've recently met her, and she and her organization steered me steered me to what I'm going to talk about next. And it's eye-opening and encouraging and gives me hope. So here's the dealio. All of the things I described earlier, earlier, containment, denuclearization via engagement, rapprochement, uh, cajoling, all, you know, all the strategies have failed. We've gotten nowhere. 70 years after the signing of the armistice, we're not in the same place. We're not stuck. We're sliding into a potential nuclear abyss. There was a paper from the Institute for Public Policy, and I discussed this briefly on a recent episode, that suggested that's all because for the last 30 years, since the collapse of the Soviet Union, we focused on denuclearization. And this paper written by people I really respect, I do not respect this paper, I respect the authors, suggests that, well, it's if we focused on human rights, we could fix it. Dudes, I am all for human rights in North Korea. One of the reasons unmentioned thus far for my obsession with the Korean Peninsula is the plight of the North Korean people. It's tragic. It's decades long. It's, it keeps me awake at night. But this paper called A, a New Strategy for, um, for a National Strategy for Countering North Korea, I had to look at my notes, uh, suggests that if we transition to an information and influence campaign that focused on human rights, we could foment so much unhappiness in the North Korean people that they would rise up, we'd get regime change, and then um, we'd be able to denuclearize North Korea. I'm trying to keep a straight face, and I'm pretty sure it's not working. Are you kidding me? For over 70 years, the Kim regime has ruled North Korea through the Cold War and containment, through the collapse of the Soviet Union and the privation that followed when they lost their sponsor state, through pandemic, through famine, through starvation. Do we think that information and influence operations are going to topple the House of Kim? Come on, man. That's not realistic at all. It's not even close to realistic. I, I'm almost incredulous at that notion. But it's as uh, much a fantasy as all the other thoughts that we could, through transactional negotiation, transactional diplomacy, keep making deals 
with a counterpart with North Korea that's proved impossible to deal with to some degree and solve this problem. Come on, man. We need something else. We need the force of law. And that's where the um, the Peace on the Korean Peninsula Act comes in. It's a draft bill introduced by Democrat uh, representative from California, Brad Sherman, uh, that suggests we mandate that the Congress mandate a peaceful pro or the end of the war through a, an armistice replacing peace treaty. It's not perfect. It's kind of feel good legislation, as I see it, that um, that is, is seems to me, I'm supposing now, uh, is aimed at placating a Korean American constituency by uh, promoting visits to North Korea by U.S. persons who have family there. Yeah, okay, um, not a bad thing, but not a solution. But it, at the same time, would require a report from the Department of State on a comprehensive approach to achieving a post-armistice agreement. And it would also uh, endorse the idea of liaison offices in North Korea. Okay, that's all good. That is not bad. And there you see it. Advocates approval of the family visits, yay, not against it. Requires a report on how we're going to get to a peace agreement and suggests that we establish liaison offices. All good. Nice. Not enough. But the idea of law is more important than the substance of this particular law. Because we do need congressional action if we're ever going to achieve peace, a lasting peace, on the Korean Peninsula. Because otherwise, the effort will not be sustained through changes of executive branch leadership or political politics or politics in general. I, we showed the images of the armistice and of the Trump-Kim summit, but the closest time we really came to solving this was during the agreed framework in the mid-90s. And that agreement had the potential to work, but we had a president from one party and a Congress from the other, and the Congress would not fund our obligations under the signed agreement. Does not matter whether it was or parentheses R or parentheses D doesn't matter. It, we have to have law that gets us through this, that makes our government pursue an end of war agreement to replace the armistice. If the war is not over, we will never get to denuclearization and we will never create conditions to allow improvement of human, the human condition. It's not just human rights. It's little things like food in North Korea. We need a law to do this. Now, the uh, Peace on the Korean Peninsula Act, as reintroduced on March 1st, has a total of 20 sponsors, one Republican, out of 435 at last count, if I remember my political science undergraduate education. So it's not, it's not a fast-track legislation. We've got to do better than that. 
you probably don't even know that it was out there. Go back to your favorite news outlet for March 2nd, see what was on the front page, and then lament that this effort to make peace and avert nuclear conflict was uninteresting in the U.S. It got a little bit of mention in South Korea, but not here. Come on, man. All the Yabets say this is impossible anyway. Well, shouldn't we at least be trying to avoid nuclear war? What's in it for Kim, they might ask, for Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea? Well, he has said he'd like peace. Both sides, South Korea and North Korea, have said they would like to see a peace agreement. It would enable the economic advancement that he's asked for. For us, for the United States, it would enable a transition to a different paradigm where we could actually talk and work towards improvement in human rights and the process of denuclearization. And for South Korea, well, there's obvious benefit to get to peace. And that doesn't matter, not to get too arcane, but the armistice was signed by the U.S.-led United Nations Command, North Korean Armed, the Korean People's Army, as the North Korean Army is called, and the Chinese volunteers, uh, tongue-in-cheek reference to the ex officio, I think is the right way to put it, Chinese Army that entered the country. So the U.S. can kind of do this arbitrarily if the, if the politics in the vibrant democracy of South Korea, South Korea are such that they're not cool with it. All right. All right, let's deal with it and, and get an agreement. Um, the beauty of the law is that it's law, but the limitation is that it's not specific enough. There should be more in it that tells the executive branch what it must do. The negotiations should include other references like normalizing the post-armistice mar maritime boundaries for North Korea particularly on the West Coast, because they're an aberration and they're not right, this would benefit North Korea, but it would make the U.S. consistent in its um, commitment to rule of law. Uh, and it's it can be done to, it can be done. Um, we should, uh, it should, the law should also describe how we'd get to reconciliation, a formal process that must uh, occur if you're going to get past a conflict now 70 years ago, 70 years old, and um, some military to military uh, construct for communication and not collaboration, but at least communication and, and um, crisis avoidance. Those should be in there. It should also say what isn't on the table and what by law can't be on the table like the withdrawal of U.S. forces or the dissolution of the U.S.-South Korea alliance. Okay, there are other reasons of law and of treaty that that can happen, but when we have all that specificity in a revised Peace on the Korean Peninsula Act, that will give negotiators an out, the same kind of out we have with the Taiwan Relations Act. When I talk to Chinese uh, counterparts in my former official capacities, and they'd say, well, 
why are you giving defensive arms to Taiwan? And I had an easy answer. It wasn't one they liked necessarily, but the answer was because the law says we have to. The North Koreans are not easy to deal with. To answer another, yeah, but that's an understatement. That's a huge understatement. It'll be much easier if we focus on a single issue, ending the war, and only things directly tied to ending the war. If we can say, hey, I can't talk about that because the law won't let me. So this law, if passed, would force our government over time to get to peace. It would limit the discussions with North Korea to things we can solve, an end of war agreement. And that, and only that, I believe, will allow us to get onto the bigger issues. And it's not bigger, smaller, not a matter of priority, it's a matter of sequence. Until we end the war, we cannot effectively address denuclearization or set the, the conditions to improve human rights and the human condition in North Korea. And I don't care which side of humanity you care about. Would you rather not have the American public nu nuked or the South Korean public nuked? Or would you rather have the 18 or so million suffering North Koreans who aren't in the elite, in the elite live better, freer? Pick, pick one, pick both. We're not doing it without this law. So... Figment, my figment, peace. Freedom from one of our nuclear threats. What would FIG do? What do I want you to do? Write, email, call your congressman and ask them if they're a senator to introduce a Senate counterpart bill to the Peace on the Korean Peninsula Act. Their congressman to support revision to make it more specific so that it will be more effective. And then to pass the bill and write the president and tell him to sign it. Look at everything else in the news. Ask yourself what's more important. This threat is real. And we've got to address it. I know from my combat experience, you've got to be aggressive to win. In country. You have to be even more assertive to make peace. And it's time, 70 years later, to make peace on the Korean Peninsula. So I believe that. I hope you'll support me. You can check out other Pigments episodes, including several on Korea, in uh, the playlist for Pigments, our imagination, the QR codes right now. It's amazing how QR codes have been re. Um, rehabilitated, if you will, throughout the pandemic. Uh, so I'd ask you to check those out. I'll also say that you can reach me at info at phase-one.com if you got something to say or a topic to suggest. If, you, if you're tired of hearing about Korea, the way to fix that is tell me what else to talk about. And uh, I want to thank, as always, Think Tech Hawaii, our great nonprofit organization that allows us 
to be citizen journalists and go to their web tech, their uh, website, please, and support with your generosity, Think Tech Hawaii. I'll be back in two weeks. Hopefully you will be too. Until then, aloha. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.